Have you always wanted a gay best friend? Don't listen to our podcast because you're not going to get that kind of action here. <laughs> Have you always wanted a mildly uncomfortable gayish best friend? You're in the right place. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. And you're not. And we are the hosts of Gayish, uh, which is a podcast that talks about gay stereotypes. And straight stereotypes. Uh, and the fact that both of us are gay, neither of us totally fit gay stereotypes. Right. Every episode. Thank you for that contribution. That was solid. Award-winning contributions by Mike Johnson. Uh, we talk about a different gay stereotype or straight stereotype each one of our weekly episodes. We've talked about depression, drag queens. Uh, Butt stuff. Fisting. Animals. Uh, fisting and animals are two different episodes, just to clarify. You can find us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Tell your mom. She's probably gay. <laughs> Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Hello! And welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femplow. Welcome back. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Oh, that was a fun noise. Thank you. I did that just for you. I'm thinking about maybe getting like, um, we got to add some sound effects maybe just to the beginning. Part. Okay. And then take the sound effects that you learn to do and become a DJ because that felt <gasps> like a very, you know, like in the middle of a song, it'll, the song will be playing and it'll be yeah. like, and then it'll, like, the, beat, the beat will drop or whatever. That's what I should do. You know what? Yeah. I think I, I honestly think that you're right. I think I can pivot my career now. What would your what would your DJ name be? That's a really stressful question and I felt it coming. I saw your lips Why curl up into stressful? the question. Because th- I feel like it's a really hard choice, like just saying what would your DJ name be? Because mm-hmm. I'm not familiar enough with DJs to know like what they're you know, like how a lot of like hip hop artists are, are like lol something. They're lol. Uh huh. Uh huh. What are lo- uh, what are DJs like? Wh- what's the DJ thing? DJ Khaled. DJ blank blank. So it's just DJ something. Yeah. DJ, DJ Paul Mustard. D. I don't know if DJ Mustard is real. DJ Paul oh, D. Yeah. Yeah. Did it? What isn't there a song where it's like mustard on the beat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. That yeah. DJ but mustard? I don't know if that's. But I don't know if that's if he's a DJ. It doesn't have DJ in his name. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. So mustard, if you're out there. Let us know what what it is exactly that you'd like to be labeled as. If you were a DJ, what kind of like songs do you think you would remix? Oh, like disco or like Miley Cyrus into Jay Z or definitely disco. But I also love. I have never attended a cycling class. However, I okay. I listen. listen. However, I do frequently check the cycling classes near me because they have a lot of cool music, like mashups. And so, based on that. I feel uh-huh. like I'm often drawn to like the Taylor Swift remix, pump up the jams, cycling music. So I think that would pump be my answer. Pump up the jams. Pump it up. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's my answer. Do you remember when, okay, one, first off, great answer. Do you, second, do you remember when on the radio they would play like 
an hour straight of dance remix like workout songs it was like popular songs but it was like the entire hour was just like the top 10 chart songs or whatever but in like a dj remix workout class style no but that sounds horrible (laughs) it was and it only played at night it was like 10 to 11 or something like that when you like really needed the good i guess they were like everybody stay awake like let's keep it going if you're driving this late and listening like be be alert but then i need the original so i can sing along with it i don't want to remix because then i'm like i i'm not as focused i think I'm not as okay. alert, you know what I sure, mean? Sure, if, if you're not paying attention or like singing the song. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mm-hmm. try to listen to to podcasts in my in my morning drive. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. we are currently <laughs> recording a podcast. What? I, I know, uh, unbelievable. So I try to listen to podcasts on my morning commute and be one of those people. But I find myself like just tuning, like not fully focused on what is happening i almost need Mm -hmm. to listen to a podcast as if i'm watching tv and fully focus on the podcast fair no that's very fair real quick before we continue i just do want to say that if i were a dj i think i would i would remix okay let's say it's like a dance version of a hosier song hosier song yeah hosier song into dolly parton because Mm. dolly parton if you play her slow or like at a lower register she sounds exactly the same they sound exactly the same so you could flow one right into the other and then pick it up with like nine to five or something you know i feel like that'd be so fun i'm obsessed with that i've been coincidentally listening to a lot of dolly parton recently me too it just feels right it does something in the air and i went to funny enough also i went to a different like hair salon today Mm -hmm. and then you normally do that i normally do Um, oh that's a risk well i moved and so normally i go to someone i know i'm very close Mm -hmm. to but i moved a little further away so if i need like a quick situation i have to find someone here and they had a sign in their really cute little studio that said what would dolly do that's a a daily motto to myself. What would Dolly do? Amazing. I can't even see your hair. You're sitting in this dark room. And... I dyed it black completely, so it oh doesn't. God. You can't see it. I'm glad you had a good haircut salon experience, and you've made it out the other end. I mean, no mishaps, no disasters. Knock no. on wood. Yeah, and and it was like a bang. Again, you can't really see it. It was like a bang situation and Mm -hmm. a a good amount cut off. So I was a little nervous, but it came out okay. I'm still getting used to it, but it came out okay. Good. Okay. That's all you can ask for, I feel like, at this point. Thanks. Now, one other thing I wanted to talk about with you, and I don't know know if we did talk about it, but it's also relevant to my story this week. I'm telling a story this week, kids, so get excited. (laughs) So I was in... The city of brotherly love quite recently, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Somebody makes a joke about how it is like the least brotherly love-ish place, which is true, but I love Philly. Love Philly. So I was in Philadelphia and they had a naked bike ride. Girl, don't even get me started. It One happened in LA a few months ago and I was at the dog park and out <laughs> of nowhere, just like yes. 300 people fully nude naked full, yes swinging and a bobbin and a yes. jiggling and we may have talked about it on this podcast but they all don't rode remember. down a hill like at the same time yes, like a pa- it was did. like hundreds of them 
Oh my god, yeah, okay. And honestly, forgive me if we have talked about this before, because it has been top of mind for a while, especially I think doing the topic that we'll talk about in a minute. But Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking, and I think it was a body positivity thing, and honestly, good for you, genuinely. I could not do it. Same. Maybe I maybe I could, but it seems pain it seems painful, first of all. Like riding a bike is difficult enough already you don't need to add like a seat fully inside of my vagina to Mm -hmm. contribute to that and as a Mm -hmm. as a non-testicle having person Mm -hmm. like I don't know how that even would factor in there I'm just trying to think and I don't want to think too much about it but then I think about it right and it's like this vicious cycle because it's like who is the bike seat made for clearly nobody nobody it's like what it like who is that what was the design and why is it now adopted to every single bike like why are the seats not just like flat like bar stool seats i mean i want to be like sitting comfortably yeah i don't want to have something partially inserted inside of me like i'm right or like like hitting against my balls while i'm trying to like enjoy my nice sunday afternoon like i that's not interested oh my god when was the last time you rode a bike Quite recently, we actually really like riding bikes. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but so okay. so I am an authority on the the difficult, the uncomfortableness of, of riding a bike, bike riding. Yes. But yes, not yes, naked. Yes. No, not naked. Because we are okay. in public and two people riding a bike naked in public is a crime, whereas a permitted crowd of people doing it is a fun yes. is a fun thing. So we can't we can't do that. Okay, that's fair, and yeah. I don't want you to. I don't think yes. you should. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that that permission. So, of course. <laughs> so with that with that little anecdote out there, because I really oh, do I'm want so to. Glad we, yeah. I wanted to include everyone else in that experience that I had because, just as Jared mm-hmm. said, it it was very random and um so interesting, and I keep thinking about it. It's like honestly so shocking when it happens. No one's expecting it if you're not a part of it. And it it. just is there and you have to accept it. That's it. I think like nudity in public spaces is so not the norm that when you see it, you're like, what? in god's yeah. name is happening like it's not a bad thing because nudity no. is honestly neutral we know this obviously. right nudity is not sexual but it's just like sort of jarring initially to see it publicly like just walking around a city street and you're like oh there are thousands of nude people absolutely it's like all of a sudden our puritan roots you know our puritan blood like comes out and we are yes. like aghast and- at here we are, uncircumcised penises everywhere. You know what um, I mean? Abound. I'm learning so much. Piercings, even. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was possible. Interesting. So, all of that sort of tangent, and I promise mm-hmm. it is relevant to today's okay. topic, which is the Folsom Street Fair. Wee woo. Wee woo. I feel like I've done, um, I've covered a lot of kink adjacent kink related topics mm-hmm. on this show which i find very interesting at learning about myself yeah it, the entire experience of Folsom and just kink in general is like such a vast world why not swim into the depths of it exactly like i really need to uh, i'm i'm learning so many things so many things mm-hmm. and i'm enjoying every moment of it Good. So the sources that helped me learn about some of these things for today include Behind the Harness, The Extraordinary History of the Folsom Street Fair by San Francisco Travel, 
FolsomStreet.org, they have multiple different pages on that website that I used, including their history page and just the general information about the Folsom Street Fair. Then 27 Do's and Don'ts for Folsom Street Fair by Alexander Chevis for The Advocate. Back to Stonewall, another article by them for their gay history series titled The First Folsom Street Fair Takes Place in San Francisco. All right. So we're going to jump in about the background and the history, but first I wanted to give some definitions and a quick primer on what Folsom is by Alexander Travis. So they say, quote, there's a dominatrix in rubber leading around her gagged, drooling sub, a grown man in a dog collar with exposed genitals hung with metal weights. He is wagging a puppy tail butt plug. There's a leather drag queen with giant devil horns. There's a crowd of naked men and women sitting in folding chairs on the sidewalk smoking cigars. There's a person dressed up as a pony in full body fuchsia latex. Welcome to heaven. Or the closest thing to it, the Folsom Street Fair, an unapologetic, clothing-optional, outdoor celebration of leather, kink, and BDSM. It happens every year in September in San Francisco's South of Market District. So that was like a little bit of just very quick jump into the deep end. Here's what we're talking about today. Just really getting into it. Yeah. So the annual fair, as it mentioned, happens in September and it's actually this Sunday in San Francisco. That's why I wanted to do like a little sexy deep dive into Folsom. This Sunday from when we're recording or from when it comes out? When it comes out. So Sunday, September 25th. Lovely. So if any of our followers hear this and are at Folsom, send us your pictures. DM them on Instagram. Uh, Send us your censored photos. I don't want to see your penis. Oh, yeah. I mean, please don't send me unsolicited nude photos. But (laughs) I mean, I suppose in the context of this, maybe. Whatever. We'll talk about it. Send us, send us, send us a DM first asking if you can send your picture to us. Thanks. If Thanks. you wouldn't send it to your mom, don't send it to us. That's fair. That's fair. If Thank it's you. tasteful, we'll take a look. Then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know we kind of threw a lot at you in the beginning there. So since we're going to be talking about some different kink topics, I just wanted to give a little bit of a definition in case like some other yeah. people were just like a little unfamiliar. So mainly the thing we're talking about when we're talking about Folsom is leather culture, which is defined by Matthew D. Johnson as a blanket term for a large array of sexual preferences, identities, relationship structures, and social organizations loosely tied together by the thread of what is conventionally understood as sadomasochistic sex. This organization began with gay men, but has since expanded to encompass enthusiasts of all genders and orientations. Broadly stated, leather folk are affiliated by virtue of their shared interest in certain unorthodox sexual expressions. These expressions may involve elements of dominance and submission among partners, Fetishism, a sexual orientation towards particular parts of the body, objects, or materials, leather not the least among these, and the giving and taking of physically painful or humiliating stimuli. Mm -hmm. Not all of the subculture's participants practice dominance and submission, fetishism, and S&M in common, and the number of variations on and additions to these three erotic themes among leather folk is seemingly limitless. Essentially, though, all practitioners believe that expressions are mindful of physical, mental, and emotional health, and they are understood as mutually consensual and are experienced as pleasurable by all parties involved. Okay, 
that's a big part. That was a lot, but I feel like there's there's a couple of different really important things of like what mm-hmm. practically leather culture and like BDSM is, but more importantly, like what like the beliefs are. And I found working with, you know, survivors of sexual violence and educating people around consent, kink communities, specifically BDSM communities are actually some of the, the people who practice consent, like very, very, yeah, they practice it a lot. They practice it in very intuitive ways. Like it is at the Mm -hmm. forefront of their sexual experiences. And I do think that that's really cool. And I wanted to mention it because sometimes I think when people are talking about kink or leather BDSM, that is not what you think about. And it is a really important piece for people engaged in that. Right. Then also in today, bathhouses get an honorable mention. So so again, Alexander Chevis in Pride says bathhouses are just bathhouses, nothing more or less. They were once a staple of gay life, and now they are scarce relics of a cruise culture that is rapidly disappearing. The most written about gay bathhouse was the infamous Everard Baths in New York, which closed in 1985. Some bathhouses have been replaced by hookup apps like Grindr and Scruff nowadays basically they were spaces for typically men to have more anonymous sex with other men what we now think about sort of as like hooking up again from like a dating app they're basically just spas a lot of them i think they get a bad rep they're actually they can be very nice but like maybe you'll have Mm -hmm. sex it's a mystery be safe anyway (laughs) anyway so that's just like a little bit of background on some of the words i may be throwing at you today Mm -hmm. okay Okay, so now, bloop, 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 we're going back in time. Oh, okay. Rewind that tape. Sound effects. Oh, right. You You know? know? Yes, I do. Because I'm a DJ. Because you're a DJ. I'm DJ Mustard on the beat. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, going back in time to, shockingly, actually, the 1940s. And it's shocking Mm. because I feel like usually our stuff is the 60s. Sometimes it's the mm-hmm. 40s. I feel like we need something in like 1907. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll think on it. I just feel like we were were very much in this time period, but it makes sense. I mean, contextually. I mean, there's a war going on. I don't know if you've heard of this mm-hmm. little thing called World War II. I would advise you read mm. up on it if you have okay, it. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, read up on it. Get some okay. info. But during this war, which... Again, I sort of feel like for those of you who are not familiar, it it feels like an all hands on deck situation. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you need all, all parties of, involved. Right. You need all available soldiers that are willing and able to fight in the war. However, many soldiers were being sent home because of like gay stuff because they were doing mm-hmm. gay things. And so right. these, most of them were right. And so these men and their quote, blue discharges as it was called in the military which Mm -hmm. i hate Mm -hmm. me too blue Blue? discharges blue Blue discharge you're gonna that's the image you want to evoke yeah i mean i guess the the army wasn't like we're gonna give you something that sounds good but you know but usually present day it's like dishonorable discharge okay but if you if you put a color before the word discharge you know it makes me think of something else 
listen, I'm on your side. I will say, however, from like a grammatical, you know, kind of standpoint, they are both adjectives. So it's just describing the kind of discharge. Sure. But all I'm thinking about is like the the maxi pad commercials where they pour blue mm. liquid on a pad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so okay. the men who received blue discharges Mm-mm-mm. returned home to some pretty major port cities, including San Francisco and New York, because I guess that's where like their military Uber plane, whatever, dropped them off. They were like, here you go, figure it out. Right, get home. Right. So throughout the next few decades, because of this sort of relocation and just random dispersal of human people, Mm -hmm. those men and many other queer people created safe havens in those cities. One of them in particular being San Francisco. And again, even further, the South of Market District or SOMA. Of course, there were many different areas of San Francisco that became known for their queer culture, some of which we've talked about here. But SOMA was recognized as an area of working class, single gay men. That piece is important too, to understand that there's like a a different class dynamic happening here in SOMA. So it's, it's, I would even say working class, lower class, low income, single gay men living here. Mm-hmm. It also quickly became home of the burgeoning leather community in mm. San Francisco. So as all of this is getting built up and these communities are being established, by 1961, the Toolbox opened, which was the first leather bar in Soma, which reportedly is now a Whole Foods. So okay. That, so anyway, I, historically really sad news. Yeah, I think it sets the stage for a little bit more about what I'm going to talk about, which is oh. just gentrification. Uh-huh. So That's the best of us, though, the leather community in Soma was growing. They were not mm-hmm. immune again to this gentrification that was creeping in from a lot of different ways, as mm-hmm. aptly demonstrated by the Whole Foods that is currently there. So while enjoying the gay bar and kink scene, large activists and community engagement movements began forming to combat this type of gentrification and advocate for affordable housing or literally just housing in general. So essentially it was like, well, there are a lot of unhoused people, so this must be a bad area. So we're going to take it away from you and create Mm -hmm. gentrified spaces. And instead it could be like, well, why don't you just offer affordable housing to the unhoused people that are there and then there they wouldn't be living in view of you which is what the problem you have is i wonder if part of this is that they know that this is a heavily gay area and Mm -hmm. so that's an an added layer of why they're not offering assistance and why they're kind of being like, "Mm, kind you know, figure it out. Sucks to be you, you know, kick rocks. Like we're going to displace you is because they don't want to help these people because they're gay. You know, like if if that's, they know that the population is heavily queer. They have a lot of reason, you know, air quotes have a lot of reason to drive out these people Mm-hmm. and put the people that they want to be in their yeah. city in this new area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's totally a huge part of it, of like, for a lot of different reasons, the people that were currently there were considered undesirable to be there. And so right. instead of having a sustainable plan to keep people safe and healthy and housed, they were like, well, we'll just try to push you out and you 
are someone else's problem. Which it's like, let's be real. It's San Francisco. It's a city. It's still San Francisco's problem, but just in a different area. Right. And I'm sorry to interject, but this has been on my mind. And I know it's a little mm-hmm. political, so where my warning? Mm-hmm. Very similar to what is happening in southern states with currently governors quite literally forcefully relocating undocumented people to other states. And it's very, very upsetting for me to read about this and and Mm -hmm. try to imagine the trauma that something like that could cause on a person. And so, and families and, and all of those things. So reading this, I think that's what was sticking out to me. That, of course, we know that this has been going on for ages and ages. This is a practice the United States government is very familiar with, but it is really mm-hmm. a shame to see it be so consistent and constantly traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a mass displacement without any plan for any party involved and everyone just basically being like, good fucking luck. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Deal with it. It's like, yeah, there are so many layers of people that are being affected generations and generations of people that are currently being affected and will be affected Mm -hmm. and the people in those southern states those governments just don't give a shit yeah and you just have to think about in all of those situations like thinking about you know as we continue talking about in this story sort of the the attempt to redistribute human beings and then you know the parallels we see to present times, whether it be refugees in European countries or mm-hmm. undocumented people here in the States, that mm-hmm. it's really dehumanizing, essentially, yeah. to people. And I want to think about that as we sort of continue on with the topic for today, mm-hmm. because I just think it's a really important aspect of all of this to consider. Absolutely. Like the, that just sort of gentrification in this way is really, really dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. So because of this, the largest queer organization in the U.S. during the 1960s was founded. They were known as the Society for Individual Rights. And like very generic, sir, they were sir. Sir, S-I-R, not Sir Lisa Vanderpump's restaurant. No, I meant like, good day, sir. Good day, sir. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. So, sir, the Society for Individual Rights, among other things, fought back against those current policies that we've been talking about surrounding poverty across the nation, which the policy, again, was just relocation and then renovating the spaces that they were in. Like, it's a a Mm -hmm. nightmare HGTV show, you know? Like, we're going to move you out of your environment and then change your environment to make it more habitable for someone else <laughs> which maybe that's how like the rats feel in all of those like hgtv shows that they renovate you know they're like oh, maybe this was but my i house. don't you made it yeah different. but at the same time it's not i mean it's not obviously it's not <laughs> but i was just trying to to make it fun in some way it's not fun. sure sure it's sure sure. So, like fun. move move that bus but also you don't get to live here anymore and this is not your home and we also like found we we redid your house but to the preferences of someone else so you get to watch them be happy while you are left stranded right move that bus straight out of this fucking town we don't want you here (laughs) right right get on the bus and then move that bus right but also we're not paying for the ticket and i know that you don't have the money to buy the ticket but but figure it out Figure it out. Move the whole entire bus. Get it out of here. Everybody get behind the bus and push, <laughs> push it. Push. 
There you go. That's it. That's it. Right. Okay. So, so, so many organizations at the time were fighting back against things like that and trying to hold strong against these developers who were coming in to be like, well, we have the money, we're going to change this. Mm -hmm. So that's really how Folsom Street became such a hub of queer culture. It was this sort of battleground area for a lot of different important social movements at the time. So the first Folsom Street Fair began with community members Kathleen Connell and Michael Valerio, alongside many other activist groups who organized a community protest against redevelopment in 1984. So the first fair on Folsom Street was known as Megahood. Mm -hmm. So Megahood began to exemplify the I'm not going anywhere mentality from the robust leather community that existed there. And so... After constantly pushing back, still pushing back really, by the late 1970s, activists reclaimed parts of Folsom Street enough to develop the Miracle Mile, which was a stretch of this area of Soma featuring 30 or more gay leather bars and bathhouses while still fending off city developers who wanted to change that culture. Wow. Okay. So they basically all... Were they... So were they already in this area or as soon as the developers came, were they like... Psych, we're here and these are our places. It was sort of a little bit of both. So they were in the area, but it, the community became larger. Like people kind of flocked to that area then. And it sort of became like a coalition movement of like, let's mm. put all of them in one area. Let's really right. make this, let's gather everyone together in this spot so they can't encroach on our territory, basically. Right. Because I was going to say, that's a lot of leather bars and bathhouses. And also it feels like when you're like opening a bar or, or, you know, some sort of business, you want to not be near, you know, another bar or business yeah. that is the sim that is similar to yours because you want people, you know, they want the one leather bar. So they all go to, but that for them to be like, there's 30 leather bars and we're all here. It's like, oh, okay. I see that you are really trying to like band together, stick together, and, right. you know, really make a point. Right. Like you can't take us all, bitch. Like we're here. Right. Now. Like you can't. Right. Exactly. It's going to be a lot harder for you to right. close down and relocate every single one of these bars. Right. So the activists and community members successfully pushed off these developers until the AIDS epidemic, when obviously mm. focus and resources were diverted to queer communities survival during this time. So it was less that same energy we were just talking about because that the focus really, really obviously shifted. However, the people of Soma had demonstrated their organizing power by creating this Miracle Mile, creating Megahood, and fundraising for AIDS treatments and research, all kind of at the same time. The mission of Soma, Megahood, and community groups was preservation. Mm -hmm. So through various governmental involvements, or lack thereof, the Folsom Street community was losing land, homes, and residents. So... Despite all of this, Soma was always seen and still to this day is seen as a queer entertainment epicenter. So while Kathleen Connell and Michael Valeri and the Society for Individual Rights and many, many other groups were fighting for the preservation of their spaces, there was still always some kind of queer centered entertainment happening. So, of course, like you, you know, you say the the personal is the political, like all of these spaces included both political activism and action because it was a means of survival plus these kind of entertaining venues 
Part of those venues included discos where Sylvester was a frequent performer. Mm, um, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So very much part of this scene at this time. Lesbian bars, bathhouses, they all found a home here and cemented the area as both a queer friendly space, but then also a larger target for this sort of repurposing. And it's still a constant battle in trying to mm-hmm. to change the environment, because like you were saying, not only is it, you know, just trying to gentrify spaces, but it's intentionally trying to push people out that you don't want in those spaces. Right. It's such a double-edged sword because it's like the more queer people that come to this area, the stronger and more fortified mm-hmm. that community becomes. But at the same time, they are just putting a bigger target on their back because it's like all the queer people are here, you know, focusing on this one area and kind of like go hard on this area and i also think it's so interesting that it was such a combination of all of that and all the things we were talking about too so like Folsom started with megahood as being a protest Mm -hmm. but it happened to be a protest involving people within like leather and kink communities and so that's how it sort of just became like almost like a stand your ground protest and then it turned into the fair that we see today because it happened every year and then became an embracing of a lot of different important moments and pieces of like queer history throughout the decades that it's been going. Right. Because I feel like that is what, you know, the King community is, right. It's embracing all of these things. It's not shaming. It's not turning people away. It's embracing all of these outliers or these, Mm -hmm. you know, people that are not in the mainstream whatever so there it truly is like the formation of the community or like the foundation of their community of the king Mm -hmm. community is really the same foundation of i guess just their whole community in san francisco at large yeah definitely definitely and this type of tireless preservation that they were doing that these activists were doing to establish that as their collective mission is the reason that san francisco and soma is still recognized as a prominent gay scene and like safe space today Folsom street fair is california's third largest single day event and draws crowds of up to over four hundred thousand people oh my that's wild right The organizers advertise the event as, quote, committed to cultivating a safe, open, and inclusive environment for the kink, leather, and alternative sexuality communities while centering equity for BIPOC and LGBTQA2I plus people in our work. Mm -hmm. We are rooted historically in the fight against gentrification and displacement both here in San Francisco, on unceded, alone land, and worldwide. We unite, strengthen, and affirm the community through support, resources, education, advocacy, visibility, and celebration. We are dedicated to sexual liberation and the right to pleasure as a crucial part of the whole liberation movement. Folsom Street is an explicitly anti-racist organization, and we are committed to decolonizing our practices. Hmm. So today, that's what Folsom very clearly advertises their event as. There are also similar kink and leather events sponsored by the Folsom Street Fair that take place in New York, Toronto, and Berlin. So we can kind of see how the development and the origins of Folsom carry on into their mission and the beliefs of kink communities and then the street fair. Mm -hmm. 
taking with that theme, we wanted to talk about some like do's and don'ts or things to remember mm. if you are headed to San Francisco this weekend or yeah. are going to the Folsom Street Fair or Kink event in the future. Here's a few things to keep in mind. So one, definitely coming with an open mind. Just thinking about what Jared and I were talking about of like the naked bike rides. I probably did not have an open mind going into that. I was probably unprepared for that setting. So don't do that. To be fair, with the Folsom Street Fair or other kink events, you are most likely actively walking into these (laughs) settings on your own free will (laughs) rather than just having 400 naked people (laughs) ride their bikes past you. That is true. But at the same time, that's right. You're going to a kink event. Like Mm -hmm. you should not be going there to judge anybody or Mm -hmm. to feel like weird or, or be awkward about it. Like it is, it should be a very open, fun, Mm -hmm. comfortable space. Yeah. And that's why talking about in the beginning definitions is important, right? Because you may go, because you are a part of a specific community or a specific kink practitioner, but there's a lot of things that you may not even know about that people Mm -hmm. are also practicing or engaging with there. And keeping an open mind about that, keeping an open mind about what you are interested in or what other people are as well. So the other important thing, and these kind of are twofold, asking permission before touching people or photographing people. Super, super, super important. So if you're ever in a situation where there's a street fair or something like this, where people are dressed or behaving in a way that is atypical for like social settings, that does not mean you could just touch people. You can take pictures of people and post them. Like, please don't do that. Make sure you're asking permission before posting or touching or anything Mm -hmm. bring cash sunscreen and water take care of yourselves of course and cash is important there are different like activities different dancing things like different things you'll need Mm -hmm. cash for um you can imagine um (laughs) sunscreen and water Uh, just like we're talking about don't laugh gawk or tease anyone like don't go to an event it would be so weird if you went to an event just to make fun of people Right. Don't go to an event and then just be a dick. Like, that is the number one way to get yourself, one, kicked out of the event, but two, have a shit ton of people hate you. Like, a lot of people will not like you. And it's not funny. Again, like, I could understand maybe getting, like, content or getting a giggle out of, like, one person doing this, but you are going to an event right? where there are hundreds of thousands of people participating in something and you're the one person being like, that's weird. It is more strange that you went somewhere just to do that. So right, kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The other thing, 400,000 people on streets in San Francisco expect close quarters with others. Although mm-hmm. I will say I don't know about other experiences like this, but Folsom does ask participants to stay masked up when possible and be vaccinated. The other thing, we've been talking about different things you can engage with at the fair, but it's important that while nudity is allowed within this sort of perimeters of the fair, which is a couple city blocks, it's important that you come dressed. Like you can't walk around just generally in San Francisco. Like you can't go to the Bay. You can't walk across Golden Gate Bridge naked. Don't get on, don't get on the bus with your ash cheeks, just firmly on the seats. (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) Like they, it is clearly advertised to people. Like it is not a family friendly environment. However, the entire city cannot be advertised that way. So it's really just like the parameters of the event. 
Great. So maybe also bring a backpack to put your clothes in to hold your stuff or, you know, a bag of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just you can dress minimally, but I mean, genitals covered. Unfortunately, if you got titties cover you got to cover those nipples for some reason cover the nips babes until you get inside of the fair perimeter and then it's and then let them free let those dogs out yeah they need to breathe yeah 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 ask for help from volunteers there's a lot of people there to support you and help you because all those other folks have an open mind as well donate money to the organizers because we know it's going to a good cause Along the same lines, look out for each other, check in on people, even if they're strangers, if you see someone struggling, they look dehydrated, they look under the influence and having a difficult time, you think they need support in some way, emotional or other, please look out for each other. And get tested before and after the fair. I would say get Mm -hmm. COVID tested, get STI tested before Mm -hmm. and after. Stay safe, really. Make sure that you're informing yourself your partners things like that Mm -hmm. so those are just some like brief tips if you are going to Folsom this weekend and again I would love to maybe don't send pictures maybe tell us that you went because I would love to hear send us a detailed description (laughs) thank you yes 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 I would like I could I could take an image description. That's fine. But right. tell me I would love to hear maybe about your experience. And yeah. you can send it in as a listener story if you feel so confident and comfortable with that. We would love to be able to tell a listener story about Folsom Street Fair if you happen to be attending. Absolutely. So send those either to our Instagram at historically really or email us at historically really good friends at gmail.com. I would also love a story or two from Folsom this year or from years past. Yeah, definitely. So that's a little bit of the history of Folsom and a little bit about where we're at today. That's so wild. I have been to Pride in in San Francisco and they've had leather events and they've had, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, obviously it wasn't this September Folsom uh, fair, but they've had similar events and me and my friends were just kind of like, mm, I don't think I want to go to that. Like, I don't think I would, I don't think let's stay away. Let's, you know, be very the kosher with what mm-hmm. we're doing. <laughs> but I think at this point, like I would absolutely go like, that sounds like such a fun experience. And I also think it's kind of not ironic because I don't know what else I would expect, but it's incredibly interesting that this event also started as an act of resistance. Mm -hmm. It also started as an act of, you know, political engagement, Yeah, which, you know, I guess a lot of queer things, queer events, queer movements started as such, but it's just so interesting that something that now is, I don't know if I want to take the stance and say that it's not political, Mm -hmm. you know, now because I haven't experienced it and, you know, kink could be political if you really think about it. Yeah. But something that is so much about going and just expressing mm-hmm. your desires and what you're into started as something on the surface that's so different mm-hmm. is so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I find it so cool and, and I would absolutely love to go. So that's another thing. If anybody ever wants to go in the future, I need a little bit more timing than just this weekend. But if mm-hmm. anybody else wants to go, <laughs> absolutely hit me up, let me know, and I'll go with you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for tuning in to episode 30 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about kinky leather. 
This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes nude bike riding a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. To see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at historicallyreally, and make sure to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com. We hope to see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.